0: Well, we are in uh, Hebrews, and um, the, the book of Hebrews was written to Hebrews. You, you know this. Uh, but there was a, they were a mixed bag of Hebrews. Some of the Hebrews who uh, were the recipients of the, this book were believers, uh, but others were not. Some knew of the Lord Jesus. Others, uh, personally, others simply knew about him. And now, what's happening, uh, things are getting bad in their day. Persecution was setting in. And those who only professed to know Jesus were beginning to be tempted to go back to their religion, Judaism, a religion characterized by um, rich tradition for sure, but a superabundance of weighty rituals and laws and rules and regulations. Uh, which the religious leaders said are required if one is to have favor with God. And the writer of Hebrews is doing everything he could to persuade these, do not return, for Jesus is a far better sacrifice. He's trying to persuade them that the law cannot do for you what he has done. And so tonight, in Hebrews chapter 13, uh, beginning in verse 7, I want to make the point that all the religions of the world, and with all of their uh, laws and rituals and rules and regulations, cannot do for any one of us what the grace of God through Jesus Christ can do. And, And so our topic for this evening is this, it is far better to be strengthened by grace. And so that's what we will talk about. Uh, tonight in Hebrews, uh, but before we get into the text, I want to uh, share with you some some personal stories. Uh, I am acquainted with this religion, that uh, Judaism, that these uh, Hebrews are tempted to go back under. I was raised uh, uh, under it, and uh, I'm glad I was. It's rich. It's uh, ancient. Uh, the liturgy of Judaism, in many cases, is absolutely beautiful, is stirring, uh, very wonderful. Uh, but all of my life under Judaism, I found myself uh, burdened, not lifted up, burdened by this uh, unquenchable uh, appetite to try to win God's favor in my own strength. I just felt like you have to save yourself, and that was the teaching of Judaism. Nobody is going to save you. You have to save yourself, and the way, the way you obtain salvation of sorts, is by uh, watching what you eat and watching what you wear and you know, observing all the holidays and all the rituals. Not that any of those things was wrong. It's just that the purpose for which we were putting them was not the intended purpose at all. And we were persuaded under Judaism that, that if we just do a lot of good things, then that would be sufficient to persuade God um, to grant us his favor. A- and so I found myself in Judaism, not being strengthened, but, but, but rather having my, my spirit depleted. It's quite a burden to carry, to wonder from day to day where you stand with God and to constantly uh, be thinking, I'm not doing enough. I have to do more. I have to do more and so on and so forth. And they were all external things. Not a one changed any one of us on the inside. These were all religious things that looked good on the outside, but didn't change our, our heart at all. And it wasn't until Uh, I I found Jesus Christ to be my Savior, that I found myself now relieved of the burden of living by the law and man-made rules and regulations, and I found myself being strengthened by his grace. And I just love the atmosphere of the grace of the God of all grace. We thrive in it. Uh, the atmosphere of forgiveness and pardon and acceptance. And, you know, the hymn we sing, Just As I Am, that's not just music. That is good theology. Just as I am without one plea, but that but thy blood was shed for me. That is grace. And so when I found entree into the, into the uh, uh, relationship with the Lord Jesus by grace, it just relieved me of all kinds of burdens to do this or don't do that. And that kind of a thing. Uh, I I remember uh, once, for instance, one of my cousins, uh, orthodox, very orthodox uh, cousin, he rebuked me at a a family get-together. There were all kinds of people around. He publicly humiliated me because I was biting my fingernails. And there's some kind of rabbinical law which says when you do that, you are desecrating the body which God has created and that is a sin, uh, maybe so. But I found it a little uh, uncomfortable to have that pointed out uh, at a family get-together, uh, to the extent to which I was just absolutely humiliated. Then I remember another time, I was asked to be a bearer at a relative's funeral. It was a Jew- Jewish burial. And I was asked to be a pallbearer. And uh, so I was hanging on to the casket, along with others, And apparently, I took one too many steps. Uh, According to the law of the rabbis, everything is legislated. Everything is laid out. And apparently, I took one too many steps. And my my cousin, an orthodox rabbi, in the middle of everyone, right there at the gravesite, screamed at me because I I violated another one of these man-made Religious stint remember. That's that's what it was like. I remember on my bar mitzvah You know what it is bar mitzvah when a when a, a Jewish male a boy is 13 It's kind of a rite of passage you go through it would be like uh, if there are any Catholic folks here kind of like confirmation that, that sort of deal that's when you accept Spiritual responsibilities for yourself, and there's a ceremony. It's real nice. It's a good deal So I was 13 years old it's supposed to be a celebration but the weather on the day of my bar mitzvah, it was in November in New York, was worse than it is uh, out there tonight. By the way, wonderful that you came. It's not such good weather out there. I'm surprised you're here. I had to be here, but I'm surprised that, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But anyway, it was, there was a hailstorm in New York at this time, I remember it. And um, in deference to my grandmother, who was alive at the time, a very Orthodox Jewish woman, um, we intended to walk to the synagogue because the rabbis say on the Sabbath, you're not allowed to ride in a car. See, it, you, it's a day of rest. You're not supposed to ride in a car. We lived about a mile and a half from the synagogue. It's a hailstorm in upstate New York. We are walking to, I'm in my suit, 13-year-old kid, you know, I got the tie on, the whole deal, looking pretty, pretty. And I'm be, we're being pelted. and so was my, my elderly grandmother, being pelted by... By, by hailstones, and and we did all this because something in us and our religious leaders told us you just have to. If it feels good, you're not doing enough to get God's attention. You have got to make sacrifices. Um, you, if you're comfortable, then you're on the outs with God. So we're going to give you a bunch of rules. That'll make you really feel uncomfortable, like walking to the synagogue in a hailstorm. And you actually, it's almost exhilarating. You actually feel a cut above everyone else who didn't walk to the synagogue in the hailstorm that day. You feel like you have rank and privilege with Almighty God, because they took a taxi. And you, you have marks on your face to demonstrate you got... Pel- I'm telling you, that's, that's what... And I've shared this with you before, but uh, I think I'll do it again tonight because I'm leading up to something in just a second. Our rabbis have come up with 39 categories of stuff you can't do on the Sabbath. 39 categories. Things like cutting or carrying or writing. These are all forbidden activities because they're forms of work. And on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to work. It's supposed to be a day of rest. And I often think, good night how could our rabbis ever rest on the Sabbath? They're too busy telling me what I can't and cannot do on the Sabbath. So let me give you just a few examples of, of specific things that we are not allowed to do on the Sabbath, and I am not making up one of these. Um, here's one. On the Sabbath, you could spit. I, I know you were wondering about that, and I just want to tell you, according to Judaism, uh, you could spit. However, if you're going to spit on the Sabbath, Uh, You have to spit on a rock. You cannot spit on the ground because if you spit on the ground, uh, that would be like cultivating a crop. And that's a form of work which you cannot do. I am not lying to you too much. That is actually mostly true. That is actually... Here's another one. You could not take a hot bath on the Sabbath. Why not? Because the steam from the hot water might clean the floor, and that is a form of work. I'm I'm not... Listen to this. Eggs laid on the Sabbath, eggs laid on the Sabbath could not be eaten because the hens were working. (laughs) Yep. No eggs laid on the Sabbath. If a flea bit you on the Sabbath... You could not hit the flea, because that would be like hunting. <laughs> we Jews are big flea hunters. I'm not lying to you. The, the rabbis said carrying a burden on the Sabbath, you're not allowed to get a weight, a burden on the Sabbath, was prohibited. But then they had to define what exactly is a burden. So they came up with this. This is a direct quote. A burden is food equal in weight to a dried fig. So if what you're trying to carry weighs more than a dried fig, you are violating the Sabbath. Uh, It it, it couldn't be, a burden is food equal in weight to a dried fig, milk enough for one swallow, honey enough to put upon a wound, ink enough to write two letters of the alphabet, on and on and on. They, They spent hours in my religion, Judaism. The same one, the writer of Hebrews, Is trying to persuade the professing Hebrews not to go back to. uh, They spent hours arguing over uh, whether or not a man could move a lamp from one place to another on the Sabbath, whether a a woman could wear a a necklace, whether you could put in your false teeth on the Sabbath, uh, whether a parent could lift up his or her own child. I remember being in Israel one time and we were in a hotel on the Sabbath and Bill uh, Cole was with me on that trip, and we got in an elevator, and there was an, a Jewish man in the elevator with us, and Bill started to push the button to get us to the floor we wanted to get to. And it wasn't working. It was stopping on every single floor. And he's looking at me, I'm looking at him, and the Jewish guy in the elevator said, Shabbat. 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 It's a Shabbat or Sabbath elevator. The rabbis have it rigged up so that it automatically stops on every floor whether you like it or not because it is a violation of the Sabbath to push the button because then you are engaging electricity. That's a form of work. I'm not lying to you. But listen here, it's not just Judaism that puts an unbelievably heavy weight upon you. To be pleasing to God. You Gentiles ain't so hot either. It, centuries after all of these laws, uh, there was a time in, uh, in Scotland, it was the 17th century, that a man was brought into a court of law for smiling on the Sabbath. See, so, so where, do you, where did all that stuff come from? Folks, listen to me. There's something in us. It's just there in each of us, Jew or Gentile that moves us to take charge of our own redemptive experience. Even if we know of Jesus the Redeemer, I'm telling you, even if we know that the basis of our salvation is faith alone, by his grace alone, in his shed blood alone, we still are tempted to believe that sustaining our salvation is very much a function of works. Saved by grace, but sustained by works. And so you can see in a lot of religious groups all kinds of customs, which again are not inherently wrong, except they're being put to a wrong purpose. You know, uh, women have to have their hair a certain length, and, uh, um, uh, women can't wear pants or can't wear makeup. Uh, you, you know, you, you can't eat certain foods. You can't, you can't do... I'm not saying those things are wrong, but, but, but they're wrong if we use them as a way of elevating our position with God. You, you see, he descended to, to make a connection with us so that we don't have to, by our, our own efforts, so that we don't have to ascend to him. So the people in Hebrews were about ready to exchange the grace of God through Jesus Christ, who said, when he suffered and died, it is finished, paid in full. And then he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And then he said, I will finish the work which I began in you, because I'm the author and finisher of your salvation. And so he said, one day I'll present you before the Father holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And then he said, I'll make you to be a temple of my very spirit. And my spirit will change you from the inside out. All these externals, which cult groups and a lot of religions uh, emphasize, the externals don't change the heart. They have the appearance of spirituality, but they don't reach the inner recesses of the heart. Only God in us can change uh, a sinful heart. And so, so there's something in us that gravitates uh, towards um, extra-biblical, legalistic standards, ways of living. And not only is there something in us, but there are lots of people who would try to persuade us that uh, confessing Jesus as Savior is not enough. You have to add to it in various ways. And so I want to offer to you, now we're about ready to get into the text, I want to offer to you uh, a couple recommendations I think the writer of Hebrews offers to keep us from falling back into into religion, uh, which is man's effort to make himself worthy of God. So here's the first recommendation. Take a look. It's in Hebrews. Uh, chapter uh, 13, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. The writer of Hebrews is saying to those who are about to abandon the faith, to get back under their own religion, to those who refuse to be strengthened by grace and instead want to live by the law, Uh, The writer is saying, wait a second, what about those who led you, especially those who taught you the Word of God? Would you consider their way of life? You admire them, don't you? Don't you see their way of life was simply a response to God's grace? They didn't add to what Jesus has done by their own human effort. They were absolutely amazed by grace They knew everything they had was undeserved, but they accepted freely by a God who bestowed upon them pardon and forgiveness and adoption into the family. All of these who taught you and who led you, look at them. They didn't. It wasn't grace plus anything. It was grace alone that saved and sustained them. And so the writer is saying, consider them. So I thought about the person who led me Uh, to the lord and taught me the word of god first his name was mark santo stefano what it's still his name and uh uh, an italian guy mark santo stefano means saint stephen and i met him in the military we were in the military together and i was lost um i was lost as a goose and i was uh using drugs and drinking quite a bit and uh, sadly that is the way of a lot of uh, military folk and uh one thing led to another, and he led me to the Lord. And uh, one of the thing, and he just, and he discipled me. He didn't just lead me to the Lord and dump me. Uh, he, he really helped me to grow. And one of the things I most admired about Mark is that he seemed to be at rest in Jesus Christ. Oh, he served. He not only led me to the Lord, but many other guys in the barracks. He was just an on-fire evangelist. And, uh, and, and the Lord used him to lead many of us, military guys, to, the, to him. And then he helped us in Bible study, taught us how to have quiet time, bought us Bibles and taught us about the joy of giving and just all these basics of the Christian life. One of the things I admired most is what seemed to motivate Mark. He didn't seem to be under pressure. It didn't seem to be the fear of God. It seemed to be his love for God that was motivating him. He was fully gospelized. He was just operating in the atmosphere of grace, and, and I thought, oh my goodness, it'd be so cool to be motivated that way. It just didn't matter to him what people thought when he shared the gospel, sometimes got rejected. It just didn't matter that much. He just knew he was accepted in the Beloved by grace, he just knew he could count on God to be there for him, even if people abandoned him. And I just so admired that. You know, it was the joy of his salvation. And I look back on this one who led me, and there wasn't a, a lick of uh, of extra biblical rules and regulations and, Stuart, you got to dress a certain way and you can't do this and you can't do that. Our lives weren't surrounded by a system of man-made do's and don'ts. Our lives were centered on the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all grace, who constrained us by his love for us to love him back by wanting to serve him, you say. Then I remember two ladies, elderly ladies. Uh, they're both home with the Lord now. Opal Massara was one, and Mrs. Lucille Manzingo was another. Mrs. Manzingo was elderly and going blind, and she taught me to memorize scripture. Uh, because now that she couldn't see, she said, I'm so glad that I have hidden God's word in my heart. And she could just recite scripture. And she and Mrs. Massara, they bought me my first concordance. You may not know what a concordance is because everything's electronic today. But it was a big Strong's called a Strong's Concordance, and they and they taught me if you want to look up a verse on prayer, here's how you do it. They just showed me how to do this, and I remember Mrs. Massar, Mrs. Monzingo, they weren't caught up in a bunch of extra biblical, man-made religious who knows what, they were filled with the very spirit of grace. And they just yearned to say thank you to God for loving them unconditionally. And so they served with great, great passion. Again, not out of obligation. I don't remember them doing one thing because they felt like they had to. They did all things because they wanted to. They would have burst if they couldn't express appreciation for the God of all grace. I'm telling you, folks, We are fighting God who wants to love us and embrace us in spite of us. It's called amazing grace, and it's so amazing, I think we resist it. Listen, it's not amazing if you're a wage earner. You work hard and you get a salary. That's not amazing. That's your due. It's not amazing if you excel in a certain field and somebody recognizes it and gives you an award. That's not amazing. That's normal. It's not amazing if you achieve something and you get good grades in school because you're a diligent student. That's not amazing that you get an A. That's your due. But to be blessed, embraced, loved, forgiven by God in spite of what we do and don't do, that is amazing grace. Folks, don't take it for granted. Religion cannot provide it, not even Judaism. No way. No ism can. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can bring us into an atmosphere of grace in which we. In which we thrive. Do you have someone like Mark Santo Stefano, Opal Massaro, Lucille Manzingo in your life? Who led you to the Lord? I wanted you to reflect on your testimony earlier. Maybe you know someone by name. Consider that one's way of life. Does it look like a rules oriented, legalistic life? Or is that person motivated by the grace of God? Now, if you don't have a person by name who you could look to, let me suggest many choose anyone from Hebrews chapter 11 every one of those are your spiritual leaders and taught the Word of God to you. Every single one of them. Show me one that said, Lord Jesus, what you did is not sufficient. Therefore, I will have you and also add to the excruciating nature of your suffering on a cross by also walking through hailstorms. Not a one of them said anything like that. And let me also suggest this. Those are ancient heroes and heroine of the faith. Why don't you read some Christian biographies? You're looking for heroes? Christian biographies. I wrote down the names of a few. George Whitfield, John and Charles Wesley, William Tyndale, John Newton, William Wilberforce, Martin Luther, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, George Mueller, Dawson Trotman, founded the organization I served with, The Navigators, as a missionary. He's a hero. Donald Gray Barnhouse, Billy Graham, Johnny Erickson Tada, William Carey, Adoniram Judson, Hudson Taylor, Elizabeth Elliot, and her husband, martyred for the faith, Jim Elliot. Folks, grab one of those biographies. Go to our bookstore say, Linda, I want one of these people. Read their story. I defy you. They're all flawed human beings just like you and me, but one of the distinctives you'll see in their life, those who bear most fruit for God are most motivated by the grace of God. It's not a have to. You don't have to jump through hoops. There are no hoops. Jesus paid it all, don't you see? All to him, I owe sin, had left a crimson stain. And I can't erase it by dressing a certain way, eating certain foods. Don't do this, don't do that. I can't erase the stain of my sin. Only the shed blood of Jesus could erase the crimson nature of my sin. He paid it all. You know what that does to you? It makes you want to scream out, oh, God, I yearn to say thank you. Don't you see? It's not a have to. It's a want to. So remember those who've gone before. See how they were motivated by grace. And remember something else. It's in the next verse, verse 8. Remember this. Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday and today. And yes, forever. Teachers, missionaries, preachers will come and go. That's the way it is. Everyone has a span here. But Jesus remains with you Forever. He's the same Jesus who was with all these in Hebrews chapter 11 yesterday. He's the same Jesus who's with you and I today. And he's the same Jesus who will be, be with all who call upon his name forevermore. And when I look to the Lord Jesus, though this is a changeable day, he remains a rather changeless Savior. Everything is changing, politics, national organization and configuration, the family, marriage is being redefined like crazy. There's all kinds of novelty doctrinal new truths coming about. But Jesus didn't change a lick of it. He still said, I am the only way you can gain entrance into heaven. He still said, I am the only way, one who's a mediator between you and God. He still said, I am the only one willing to shed his blood for you, though you be absolutely undeserving. He still said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He hasn't changed a lick. So consider, verse 7, those who've gone before, who've lived exemplary Christian lives. What motivated them? Was it all this religious stuff, standards imposed upon them externally? Or was it the grace of God? And then consider Jesus, who was immutable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He didn't say to them of old, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you exhausting work to do in order to win my favor. What he said to them, he says to us, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Rest. We don't have to work for salvation and we don't have to work to sustain God's favor. We have it by grace, don't you see? But don't we do anything for the Savior? Are there no, world, no rules we live by? Of course. The issue is not service or rules. The issue is what is the motivation? Could I tell you in my mind the only uh, legitimate biblical motivation for doing anything? It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. This, for the love of Christ controls us. His love to us is what changes us. That's the only motivation. If it's, I'm afraid I'll lose my salvation, you are not properly motivated. If it's, I think he'll move past me and cease blessing me, unless I do this, that, and the other, you are improperly motivated. If it's, I have to give, or I'll be on the outs with God, you are giving for the wrong reason. I must share my faith, because if I don't, God will berate me. You are sharing your faith for the wrong. All those are good things, but the motivation behind it must be for the love of Christ, his love towards us, gets us to do things, the motive being gratitude that we would never, ever be motivated to do by the external imposition of laws and rules and human standards. So, something is said in the last verse for tonight, verse 9, which ought to alert us, do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. You know what that tells me? Two things. Number one, there are varied and strange teachings out there. And number two, we can be carried away by them. Be on your guard. One of the uh, newest (laughs) uh, varied and strange teaching are reports of people who've died gone to heaven and God obligates them to come back and tell the rest of us about it. I know you know about this because most of you buy the books, go to the conferences, and listen to the stories. That is a varied and strange teaching, folks. You cannot show me any biblical basis for thinking. That's how God operates. Takes someone out of here, brings them to the glories of heaven, and sends them back. And if you read about those near-death experiences, the reports are almost exactly the same, whether they come from a Christian or a non-Christian. I saw a bright light. Man, you ain't telling me anything. If you want to know about heaven, could I please encourage you to get a concordance? I'll give you the one Mrs. Monsingo gave me almost 40 years ago. Look up the word heaven and find out about heaven. Why are we so enamored by all these novelty teachings for crying out loud, varied and strange teachings? A 13-year-old is on a speaking tour, went to heaven, come back to tell, have you exhausted the scriptures? so now you've got to look for information about heaven outside the word of God? Now, could that be true? Could God have taken someone through a car accident or something, a Christian out of here, bring him to heaven and send them back? Yeah, but folks, don't live in the world of whether it could or could not be true. That is a subjective experience, and you don't have anything to, to verify it by. You can't say it's true or non-true. Listen to me. I could tell you on the way to church tonight, I do this all the time, same illustration, I looked in my rearview mirror and I saw a huge peanut butter and jelly sandwich following me on the way to church. It was like 12 feet high. What are you laughing at? You can't prove it or you can't disprove it. It's a subjective experience, which is why God gave us objectively verifiable 66 books of the Bible. That's not subjective. It says... And God said, it is written. That's not my opinion, your opinion. What is with us that we're so enamored by people's dreams and visions and novelties, experience, not a one of which can be verified. That's a subjective personal experience. Could it be real? Sure. But we are embracing people's subjective experiences as if we have evidence it's real. You don't know that, folks. Why would the writer of Hebrews warn us about being carried away by varied and strange teachings unless we have a tendency to be carried away by varied and strange teachings? Mm. So we are told instead, don't be carried away by them because it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were thus occupied were not benefited. What's up there? See, in Judaism, we have all kinds of dietary laws. Some foods are kosher. Other foods are non-kosher. We we don't do the non-kosher food thing. In my household, we had two separate sets of dishes, one for meat products, one for dairy products, because our dietary laws. We're not allowed to mix milk and meat, two separate sets of dishes. Then we had a third separate set for Passover. On Passover, you had to have a separate set because no leaven could touch it. So we had three sets of dishes. I mean, you can't eat this. You can't do that. And the writer of Hebrews is saying to these Hebrews, do you want to go back under that? And the writer of Hebrews, the good argument, is saying, let me ask you a question. Those who are living under all those uh, dietary laws and limitations and restrictions, did it benefit them? You see what he's saying? The only thing that can change our heart is Jesus within. Not food laws outside. Not a dress code. That doesn't do, that doesn't do anything, for crying out loud. nothing. 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 So the writer says, you know what's better? It's good for the heart to be strengthened. Not by don't do this, don't do that, don't eat this, don't eat that, don't wear this, don't wear that. It's better for the heart to be strengthened by grace. There was a group of our fellow believers who lived in a place called Colossae, Colossae, and uh, a group of folks were trying to um, tempt those believers to add to the work of Jesus by their own works. And Paul Paul was really ticked off by this. He was lathered up. And this is what Paul said. It's in Colossians chapter 2. If you have died with Christ. And by the way, your beautiful baptism just revealed that to us. You see, when, uh, it, when you go down, it, you're, it, symbolically you're saying, I have died with Christ, ooh, and I'm raised to walk in newness of life. So the writer is saying, if you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use? in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom, look, in self-made religion and self-abasement, like getting pelted uh, in a hailstorm on the way to the, self-abasement, and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Do you know what curbs our appetite for sin? The unconditional, gracious love of the Lord Jesus Christ for us and in spite of us so constrains us in gratitude to want to do that, which is pleasing to him. It's a more powerful force than any religion, than any rule, than any ritual that could possibly be. I want to close with this. Uh, Two... Two, three days ago, one of our members uh, went home to be with the Lord. Brother Chuck did the service, and it was beautiful. By the way, a clearer presentation of the gospel I've never heard. Brother Chuck gave such an opportunity for folks to know what the message this deceased brother in Christ embraced, and therefore uh, we know where he is in heaven. His his name is Howard Hagan. I don't know if any of you knew Howard Hagan. Just a wonderful person. Well, his three adult children eulogized him. Isn't that something? To be such a dad that your children speak well of you when you're gone. And one, the daughter, um, Casey, I, I met then. She's, she's from Oklahoma. But I remember what she said. She said, I just remember this about my dad. He always would give away money. It wasn't so much the, the amount of the money, but money uh, to children and grandchildren. And, uh, and then they would look up at him, the recipient would, with a surprised look and say, why, what did I do? And Casey said he he used to take so much joy in saying, nothing. That's grace. And I thought, ooh, I have a heavenly father like that. Oh, God, you really blessed me. What did I do? Nothing. Nothing. Uh, 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 God, I sense your presence even at times when I don't want to talk to you. What could I do to persuade you, to, to grant me your smile instead of your frown? You, uh, you have my smile. Yeah, but what did I do? Nothing. But, but then God, let me ask you this. What could I do to dissuade you from loving me? What's his answer? Nothing. But my rabbi cousin said, I displease God by taking too many steps as a pole bear, And another cousin says, I displease God by biting my fingernails. And someone else, some rabbi says, oh, you would displease God if I took a cab to the synagogue instead of walking in a hailstorm. And someone else would say, you can't eat Jimmy Dean's sausage. Because oh, I'm getting. All these things have an appearance of spirituality and religiosity, but they're really not. You know what it is? Self-made religion. Listen to me, folks. you got options. You can either choose a do-it-yourself approach to God, or you can choose a done-for-you approach for God. Better to be strengthened by a done-for-you approach to God. Better be strengthened by grace. Your ladder of do's and don'ts cannot extend high enough to access the riches of being in communion with the Most High God. But if you're willing to accept it, you will benefit from the fact that he stooped low. He became enfleshed. He came to where we are. (laughs) So as to connect us with the Father and never to let us go. Listen to me. I hate it. When when my relatives say, so you're religious now, I hate it. No, I've run from my religion, not from my people. I'm not religious at all. I have a relationship with the God of all grace who has strengthened my heart and yours by grace. What can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus? Nothing. 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 Grace, grace. Lord Jesus, you are in a different category, aren't you? And therefore we have a hard time relating to the way you respond to us because we know about what's fair. We don't know about grace. By fairness, we think if we do good, you'll be good. If we do bad, you will turn from us. That's fair. Grace says, I love you in spite of anything you do or don't do. That is amazing grace. And we want to bask in the sunlight thereof, resisting the temptation to be led into extra biblical stuff in a vain effort. <laughs> to win your favor. We cannot possibly have more of your favor than we have right now based on our faith in your only begotten Son. Lord Jesus, motivate us by the only correct motivation. You have first loved us. Therefore, we love you back and want to do that which is pleasing to you. Not because we have to, but because we really, really want to. Lord Jesus, this indeed is amazing grace. And we are grateful for it. In your precious name we pray. Amen.